you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. The Chris Voss Show. Dot com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe to us on YouTube.com. If you're listening to the audio version of this on all of our podcast uh, syndication channels, you can watch the video version of this on YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. So uh, cool. Embrace technology. It's pretty cool. You can even use your phone for that as well. Anyway, guys, uh, refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats. Uh, get them involved. Get them to listen to the show. Sign them up. Go to the ECVPN or ChrisVossPodcastNetwork.com. I've uh, been seeing some great referrals for the show. People giving us five stars, so we certainly appreciate the folks going to iTunes and doing that. We'll give you a shout-out tomorrow on some of the people who have been doing that. And uh, also, we have, of course, the most excellent guests in the world, like the whole world. We search the whole world for the most excellent guests, and we mine them, and then we bring them to you. And one is here today. It's Stephanie Johnson, or I should say, Dr. Stephanie K. Johnson. She's a researcher focused on the intersection of leadership and diversity, and she works with the best companies to implement evidence-based procedures to reduce unconscious bias and increase inclusion. And we've actually been talking about this a lot with Black Lives Matter and some of the discussions we've been having, so this is a great segue into uh, discussions we're having in, in our social life uh, around the world. She's a member of the MG100 Coaches, and was selected for the 2020 Thinkers 50 Radar List. She's the author that we'll be talking about, the next or the nation's bestseller, uh, Inclusify, harnessing the power of uniqueness and belonging to build innovative teams. She publishes her work in the top journals and received $3.8 million in external grant funding. She has represented her work at over 170 meetings around the world, including the White House for a 2016 Summit on Diversity in Corporate America. Uh, media outlets uh, feature Stephanie's work, include The Economist, Newsweek, Time, Wall Street Journal, CNN, ABC, NBC, everywhere. She's been everywhere. She's appeared on Fox, ABC, NBC, CNN, and CNN International. So welcome to the show, Stephanie. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for the very kind introduction. There you go. Or I should just probably call you Dr. Johnson, huh? No, <laughs> please call me Stephanie or Steph. All right. Sounds good, Steph. Uh, and uh, Stephanie, give us your um, give us your dot coms where people can look you up on the interwebs. Drstephjohnson.com, D-R-S-T-E-F Johnson, and inclusivebook.com, and then the corresponding hashtag. So uh, at Dr. Steph Johnson, hashtag Inclusify um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Awesome sauce. So uh, I've been getting a chance to read your book, but before we get into that, give us a little, just a little background on you, uh, kind of your origin story, what made you get to the point of maybe wanting to be a doctor, and then, of course, uh, uh, writing this uh, wonderful book. For sure. It's funny that you ask that because in the book, there's these different archetypes of leaders and each one starts with um, the origin. So meritocracy manager origin. So I guess this is Stephanie Johnson origins. Um, okay. I have, I, mean, I have no idea how I ever decided to 
go get a PhD and write a book and stuff like that. I, I'm probably like the least likely person to have a PhD. I'm, uh, I grew up in near East Los Angeles, pretty poor. Neither of my parents went to college. And I just had this idea when I was a high school student that I wanted to go get a PhD. <laughs> I wasn't really sure what that even meant, but mm-hmm. I like never really stopped working toward that goal. So as soon as I went to college, my first year, I told my professors, I want to get a PhD. And they were like, really? You know, that's like very strange for a freshman in college to say, but I had read about it on the newly created internet. Um, this was in the nineties oh. about this whole, like getting a PhD in psychology. And that's, that's what I ended up doing, even though I'm now a business professor, but um, I'm just super curious about people and mm. in particular leadership, like what makes people follow leaders? Why do we love leaders so much? How can we be better leaders? Awesome sauce. That you have the same sort of uh, uh, interest that I do. That's the reason I have a podcast is because I'm curious about people. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to me the path that people take and the choices they make and what they do with their lives and and uh, and and how they lead them and and their motivations and what takes them down that thing. Um, I grew up in a cult uh, of religion, and and in leaving that cult, I've always studied like why people believe what yeah. they do because you know I've seen what that looks like in the Jonestown sort of element, yeah. um, and we're we're seeing some of that now in politics and things that are going on where uh, there's you know cults of personality, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've always like looked at people, what motivates them to lock on to these things. And of course, leadership is a great thing for me too, because I've been a CEO since I was 18. So I've always owned my own companies and, uh, becoming and preparing for a leader was one of those things that I looked in for. <clears throat> what is, so what made you want to host a podcast? I mean, obviously you're curious about people, but yeah, and uh, it, it's it's because uh, I get to interview people and find out where they go, like where they came from, what motivates them, um, and and to me it's interesting. Like it's a it's a real I love stories, collecting mm-hmm. stories, you know, <clears throat> and so that's always interests me in, in how that works. Yeah. Uh, so in your book, Inclusify, um, uh, tell us uh, what Inclusify is about. Yeah, so it's a book about how leaders can be more effective at leading inclusively. Um, although I guess anyone can read it, even if you're not a leader, but it's really based on my research that I was studying unconscious bias and leadership. And I found overwhelmingly that people had really good intentions, at least when it came to inclusion. I never, I've not met anyone yet who says, no, I actually don't want to be an inclusive leader. I just, I don't want to hear others' opinions. You know, even people who don't want to hear others' opinions, they, they don't believe that. Um, and some leaders were, thought they were doing a really great job. Others recognized they weren't doing that great a job, but they still wanted to. And it just made me realize that this is a huge gap that we don't teach leaders how to be more inclusive. We just tell them you should be this and we're not going to define it for you, but uh, your job is going to be based on your success at this. And so I thought this is what we need is an easy guide of like, how can I build on my strengths and be more inclusive? And you do a great job of laying the foundation. You, you know, when you start out in the book, you talk about, you know, why we have these, why we kind of have this uh, internal thing where we want to belong, we want to be involved. Uh, when you when you're not invited to the party, <laughs> yeah. you you know you feel that FOMO or the or the you feel you feel excluded and and you don't feel a part of something when you want to. Um, and so you lay a good foundation on why this is psychologically important for us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the two most 
basic and essential human needs, right? Like we all want to be accepted and loved and valued. And it feels so bad when you're not, right? I don't know anyone who hasn't had that experience too, where you're left out. Um, But then at the same time, we want to be ourselves. We don't want to only be accepted if we totally fake everything about ourselves. Does that create a... Does that create a dichotomy where, uh, let's say I'm uh, someone's a racist, but they want to be themselves and they want to be included, but or you know cancel culture. And I'm not saying cancel culture is bad, uh, but cancel culture where someone's like, well, I want to do whatever I want and be Bill Cosby, and I don't understand why I'm not included. Yeah, you know, maybe um, I like to say it's your you want to be your true best self so okay i mean there's definitely a lot of stuff about me that i'm not i'm just gonna leave it out of this conversation i don't think anyone at work needs to see it i actually don't want anyone to like recognize the aspects of myself that are you know not my favorite there's like all things that we're struggling to become better people and i guess i would put like racism and like raping people in that category like yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> there's but, some I Sadly, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a total psychologist, but I would think with mass killers and other things, they, they do probably prescribe to be the best at what they do. I don't know. I don't know what was it of Bill Cosby, but I was just wondering about the psychology of that, of trying to force yourself onto people because you're like, I want to be included, but I want to be me. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a pretty, that's kind of a broad spectrum of what you want people to accept. And maybe that's the reason for your book and some of the details that are in it is you need to look inside yourself and go, are you really the best person to be putting forward into society and making a contribution, a good contribution, I should say. Yeah, I think so. It's when I'm talking about bringing your whole self, it's like the core aspects of your identity. Like if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, kind of a liar, that's not, you don't need to bring that, right? It's more (laughs) of like... I am a woman, I am a parent, I am Hispanic, like all those things that are really central to how I see myself, I think you should be able to bring that. But I had this um, person on LinkedIn the other day say he was a white guy and he messaged me to one of my LinkedIn contacts. Hopefully he never watches this, but he said um, he doesn't think his diversity is included and he feels like the book, Inclusify, really voices that everyone should be included and he's like a white guy. So I'm like, you know, lots of white guys have things they're not included for. Like you could have, uh, it could be a disability. It could be being conservative. It could be um, your sexual orientation. It could have been growing up poor is one of the things that causes people to feel stigma. So he responds with, no, I like to be spanked. Oh, that sounds like what a lot of women get on the internet. Yeah. I, yes. And I'm like, so that part, don't bring it to work. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't share. I don't care what you do, <laughs> but do not share this yeah. on at work or on LinkedIn with me. I mean, it's, it's, does he want to be? Does he want that like at work where that's accepted or something? I don't know. I I don't know. He just said, "Can you help me?" And I was like, "N O delete." Like, what? Where would you? Where do you want to publish that, buddy? Um, <laughs> it sounds like more like he's. You know, but if he did you. write a book about that, I would read it. <laughs> 
because yeah it would be I'm interesting like years <laughs> like 20 or 30 years ago because i'm old um it, let's see what were they put it about 20 years ago I had a friend, and this is before a lot of um, LGBTQ acceptance and stuff. I mean, this is before, I think, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or around the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era of the Clinton uh, thing. You know, and a lot of America still wasn't accepting of of gay rights and everything. Um, I'm glad they are now. Uh, And uh, I had a friend, and she just had a small company of like two or three people. And a guy one day uh, showed up at her office or she, she had an employee for a while. It was a guy. And one day he said, I'm, I'm going to show you who I really am. And I'm going to try being who I really am at work. And she's like, oh, okay. We'll show what that's about. Show up the next day in a dress and makeup and full drag. Um, and he's like, this is who I am. And she's like, well, we're a business. And, <laughs> and we're not really, I mean, she, that was, it was a challenge. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, because he was, he was, you know, whatever. And that, that was pretty early days to be, be doing something. I think nowadays you, you might have some more exclusivity. I don't know. I've never, I haven't shown up to work in a dress yet. I'm still working on that. I know Um, that was one of the interviews I did was with Gap CEO and he, the CEO at the time talked about, um, an, an employee that he really valued who, um, dressed as a woman who identified as a man so he identifies a man but dressed as a woman and how like it's important to create a space for people to be able to be that part of their identity and i think that's different than like than asking your boss to spank i think i think nowadays it's more it's probably more acceptable and and of course there there are laws and stuff now that protect lgbtq people Mm -hmm. and i think it's appropriate but but i mean that's that's an example of sometimes where you're like whoa okay but yeah spanking definitely might be we we need to keep that away for a while um, <laughs> that's why i think this is actually to me such an interesting topic because mm-hmm. it's always evolving right the things that we're talking about now are just so different than in the 90s like when i learned about the internet um, yeah hopefully that doesn't become a thing though because one of my problems used to be was we had so many employees that you know every now and then you catch people on the copier or you'd have problems in the office after hours with people having interpersonal relationships, let's call it that. And I wasn't a big fan of that, especially since it was my office and (laughs) and my copier. Um, So there's that. So let's talk some more about inclusivity. inclusivity. Why is it important? What what is the basis of this on why it's important to us and our society and businesses? Yeah, well, you know, I guess from the individual perspective, it's important for us to feel included, each person. Um, Otherwise, if you don't feel like people recognize your uniqueness and you feel like you don't belong, there's a lot of psychological distress. Like people feel um, very invisible. They might feel like they want to quit. They can actually suffer from depression and anxiety for some of those things. So it's obviously it matters to the individual, but then if you scale that up to the organization, organizations that have more inclusion actually outperform other organizations. They, have better decision-making because people are willing to voice different perspectives. They have lower turnover because people aren't quitting all the time because they mm-hmm. feel like they can't be themselves. Um, they have greater innovation because they do have like difference breeds creativity. So that I think all organizations would be elevated if we could actually bring out that inclusion. The rising uh, tide lifts all boats. That's what I always say. I think so. Yeah. And then leaders, it's, 
for them, it's like, this is your job, dude. Like your job as a leader is to bring all your employees with you and help every one of them be as successful as possible. Mm-hmm. That's what you signed up for if you're a leader. So I think this is just another skill that people need to work on. Not, you know, it's not different from learning how to give feedback or how to create schedules. Like this is just something that in 2020 with a very diverse workforce that we all need to be working on to do better. And and it's important too, because I mean, as a leader or as a head of a corporation or a manager or any place in the, in the, in the organization, you want to, you want to uh, take advantage of everyone's, you know, ability to work, everyone's ability to contribute. One of the th- rules of my companies was, uh, you know, I don't have all the ideas. Everyone has an idea. There was no dumb questions. Um, uh, you know, everyone, I didn't care where the great ideas came from because <clears throat> yeah. the less burden it was on me to come with all the ideas was great. Yeah. Um, and so being able to have, uh, you know, a corporation or a society work at its, at its fullest, uh, means, uh, you know, making inclusion for, uh, everyone so they can contribute and they can feel a part of it. Um, I remember uh, in the 90s, we we had to start, you know, dealing with sexual harassment and different things like that because that excludes people and makes them feel alienated or women's rights, women's issues, how they're treated in the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. We just uh, had a great interview yesterday regarding some of that. Uh, And and, uh, uh, so, you know, I had to relearn. I had to learn all that stuff and go, hey, what's okay? so this is a part of how we have a healthy uh, environment, making sure that everyone feels included. Everyone feels like they're contributing. Everyone's not being marginalized in some way, shape or form. Um, And that became really important uh, then. And, and even more important now where we're dealing with race relations, LBGTQ, um, just making sure everyone contributes. You talk in your book about how sometimes people show up at meetings and, and uh, they're they're you know, they get, kicked out of the meeting because someone thinks that they're not uh uh they're not uh you know uh shouldn't be in that meeting they find out later they're not but you talk about how that rejected person feelings one interesting thing you talk about in the book was how at an event uh a gentleman went to a uh, ceo after party or something of that nature or some yeah. sort of uh event and and uh and when he opened the door the ceo thought that he was help staff from the hotel and said, no, we don't need anything. Yeah. And that destructive element of, of uh, kicking one's self-esteem and making someone feel excluded uh, yeah. is hurtful. And it, it, uh, it you know, lowers productivity. Yeah, I, and that was a, a tough story. It was uh, a black man, I don't name him in the book, but who was um, worked in finance and was from the South and like most, you know, the big financial firms are in New York. And so he was at this conference and he was invited to this great party. Um, like maybe you have these things where there's like, Oh wow, I got an invite to this thing. That's a big deal. And so he went up, you know, actually he said he rang the doorbell in the hotel room. Um, and when the guy hosting the party, who's, you know, the big, big wig guy answered the door, he thought that, um, the gentleman was help staff. And so he turned him away. The guy goes downstairs and he's like, oh my gosh, he's just thought I was uh, hotel personnel because I'm black. That's like, that's why. And to me, the part that like hurt was the fact that he didn't want to see that guy again the next day because of the embarrassment 
And like that guy shouldn't be embarrassed. The, you know, maybe the, the CEO, the CEO maybe should be embarrassed. But just that like feeling of like I think it's shame, right? When people yeah. think, oh, you know, it happens a lot. I think particularly for women and women of color and people of color that people think they're the support staff or cleaning people. Like some study showed um, a large fraction of female faculty have been um, confused for support staff or cleaning staff. And there's like just, especially I think when you have that feeling of like imposter syndrome already, like Mm. am I supposed to be here? And then people tell you like, no, actually you're not. (laughs) I think you're um, a secretary. Copy these things for me. Yeah. Well, I think even even worse, it shows racism or misogyny in the case of women, uh, where people have their un- either unconscious bias or conscious bias. I mean, we recently saw uh, recently where one of the congressmen, uh, forget his name, uh, but he he said a bunch of ugly misogynistic stuff to AOC, yes. and um, and uh, it was you know, wholly inappropriate, but you could tell from his comments that there's a lot of misogynistic sort of, um, bias to him. Uh, so let's talk about unconscious bias because one of the challenges that I have, uh, is, um, I deal with a lot of people because they speak out on black lives matter. I speak out against racism. I, I speak out about people that support racism and they're pushing it. Um, and there's a lot of people in our society that have, um, uh, I call it closet racism, but maybe the more appropriate term is unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and, I think it's probably both. There's some people okay. with unconscious bias and there's apparently just a lot of people who are straight up racist, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of people straight up racist and there's a lot of people who have unconscious bias. I mean, the one thing I've learned from your book and a lot of the different discussions I have is I think we all have unconscious bias at some level. And do we ever get fully clear of that? I mean, do we just have to go through a lot of psychotherapy to clean it up? <laughs> we still have, we're still going to have some of that. I think we always have it. It's mm-hmm. I mean, what, the way I describe it is it's basically a mental association between two things. So, if you think of a car, what do you think of? A Corvette, a Ferrari? Like, what's your just BMW. car? What is it? BMW. BMW, nice. Okay. Um, other people might think of, you know, a Ford or something, right? Like, that's your prototype. And it probably relates to, you know, something, what you've seen. And I use the secretary example. Like, in fact, most secretaries are women. Like, this is a true fact. Or if you look at surgeons... Mm. And nurses, most surgeons are men, most nurses are women. But it doesn't mean that everyone who's a woman is a nurse, right? And yeah. you see a woman in a hospital, it is more likely statistically that she's a nurse than a surgeon. And those are unconscious biases that you expect the person mm-hmm. to, um, just like you're following the likelihood ratio. And that's, I think that's all ratio. the unconscious biases. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that, we can work on that, but I think we're still going to be influenced by what we see around ourselves. The part that I see is like where we should focus is the point at which you say, pardon me, nurse, can you call, can you call a doctor, a doctor? Right. Um, (laughs) I think that's where you can stop and like, just, and I think like when people have these experiences, then for like six days later, they're like, Oh, I have to remember Like I shouldn't do that. But then we just fall back into our old habits because it's easy. Um, It saves time just to say nurse. And then, the nurse says, actually, I'm your surgeon. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck this afternoon. 
That reminds me of a TikTok I just saw last night or the night before. Um, there's a there was a gal who's a doctor and she's a minority and and uh, she said I just saved the life of a guy who's covered in KKK uh, oh. tattoos. Wait till he wakes up and finds out who saved his life. Oh my gosh! Yeah, right. <laughs> a woman and a woman and a, and a minority. Uh, uh, so uh, so he's got an awakening going on there. Like ho- hopefully he'll have an epiphany. Um, to change his life. Uh, but uh, so that's interesting to me. So people, people start down these roads of unconscious bias based upon this sort of data or information that is commonly available. The part where it gets toxic is when people start like say for instance, racially biased or biasing in the biz in the business. Uh, a good example of racial bias are X, Y, Z minority uh, lives, in, does this or does mm-hmm. that. And that's their classification. We see a lot of, we see a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call it, modeling or profiling where, you know, certain news channels will be like, oh, those people do that. And I've heard, you know, I've heard that yeah. sort of thing. Those people do that. I mean, you can even say the thing about white people, white people do this. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, thing there, but of course we're a majority, so we're not really persecuted. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's always kind of interesting when people try and pull that card. Um but, uh, but uh, and, and the same is probably true in business where people go um, where, where maybe, maybe, okay, so maybe a good example is I'm a CEO. I kind of think of women as secretarial, like you mentioned. And so I, when I'm looking at uh, interviews, maybe I favor men on, on an unconscious bias. Would that be true? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's an example of where you should get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at the C level, if you're interviewing yeah for, you know, potential board members or other members of the executive suite or senior vice presidents. It, like the CEO is usually not interviewing secretaries. Yeah. But at, and, at that point, it, the correlation is so strong between white guy and board member, old white guy and board member, mm-hmm. older, that it's difficult to like overcome that and really see someone who doesn't fit that prototype as like a good potential like it just seems like weird like i haven't seen any you know young female asian board members and so when you interview one it's like um but it's i think it's focusing on the criteria that you're looking for rather than just like making the gestalt view of like Mm -hmm. looks like a board member Um, do you have to be aware of the con you you have to you have to how do you start becoming conscious of your unconscious bias how do you start digging through that that uh that uh, morass? Yeah, that's a good question. I think interacting with people who are different from yourself will start to turn stereotypes into individuals, mm-hmm. right? Like if you've never met someone of a certain race, all you have is your stereotypes. But when you have friends and colleagues that you get to know that are that have those differences, then it starts to like muddle the stereotype a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think I just kind of assume all the time that I have unconscious bias Mm-hmm. And so rather than just trying to overcome it, um, I try to instead focus on changing systems mm-hmm. and structures that help me overcome it because we're bad at overcoming it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. first you have to recognize, oh, this might be a point where I have unconscious bias. And then now your brain is like totally preoccupied with that unconscious bias thought like, wait, I have this bias. Does that make me a racist or is that am I sexist or both? And then you're supposed to also be evaluating this person. It's like, it's too much. So 
I think if you can actually create systems that do that for you, that strip away the bias, um, it helps. I think unconscious bias training can help when paired with action, with actions, mm-hmm. um, you know, conversations, I think help. If you start reading, read mm-hmm. a few of these books, um, or blogs, like just read like five things on Forbes, you'll see like the same things come up over and over again. So it, mm-hmm. it starts to become clear pretty quickly, um, what the biases are. And as long as you don't assume you're better than everyone else on the planet, you just have to recognize that you have those biases too. And like, yeah, that's not acceptable depending on, I guess, on your organization. Yeah. Say if you think you're better than everyone else on the planet, that's a whole new level of psychiatry. That's right. <laughs> well, there's people who still say they don't think they have unconscious bias. Yeah. So, and that's why it's important. They should order your book yes. and read it. <laughs> um, and, th- and that's, that's the discussion that we've actually been having for a long time here on the Chris Foss show is especially recently with black lives matter is unconscious bias. Um, you know, one of my, part of my journey with Donald Trump, uh, coming into office was looking at, uh, white nationalism and some of the other different things and aspects, some of the different keywords he was using. Um, and so I, I started to really have to start doing that, uh, that journey internally. And I had to do the same thing with me too, with the me too movement. Cause at first I was kind of shocked. Like I didn't understand I'm like, people are asking people out on dates and hitting on them, and this is bad. But I didn't understand the monster element of it. You know, I don't send pictures of private parts to women. I just, I don't know why, since the beginning of phones, <laughs> I've known that that's not cool. Yeah. Um, and, and plus, God knows where it's going to end up. Like, even though I was married, I still wouldn't do it. Because yeah. I'm like, the first time I upset her, that thing's going on the Internet. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and it's just, yeah, you know. So me too was, was hard to deal with uh, until I heard the stories. And then once I heard the stories, you know, of Weinstein and the, I mean, that you're just like, okay, this people that date way differently than me. And that's not even dating that he was doing. Um, but, you know, evidently I'm quite the gentleman, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but, but being, seeing the horror stories of what was actually going on and the horrible things men have done, you know, over the years I've yelled at friends that if I catch them uh, sending, uh, sending stuff to people. I'm just like, dude, that's not the way to do this thing. Just ask her out, man. Right. And if yeah. she says no, then move on. There's a million fish in the sea. I've dated, I've been single all my life. I've dated all my life. It's, it's just, you just, to, maybe it's because I'm a salesman. So I just understand the numbers game. You just go, <laughs> okay, they're not interested next. Okay. That's one less person that I know that doesn't like me, which yeah. uh, seems that there's a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there, there do you one. think me too was harder for you to kind of get your head around than the resurgence of black lives matter over the last few months? Uh, I had, I, I, I've always tried to deal with racism and my racist issues. Uh, you know, being an employer back in the day, of course you couldn't be racist. Uh, we had equal, you know, we were one of our companies was a mortgage company. So we had to sign the equal rights, uh, equal housing, you know, laws and stuff. And so I understood what those meant. I'd read those documents cause I was asking people to sign them in the mass. Um, and, you know, I'd always studied, I grew up, uh, I've talked about this in a few different things on the show. I grew up uh, having, seeing racism and having a pretty deep impression of, of how it was bad. And I, I, you know, even as a child, I was like, why is this, why are people so ugly and hateful? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I talk about some uh, one of my one of the uh, pictures that had a huge impact on me was Martin Luther King standing in his front yard, and there's a burnt cross there, and his one to two year old child or three year old child is standing next to him, and there's a picture where he holds him, and I, I remember thinking the empathy of that, going, God, my God, what is that like? Not only from the child's perspective, yeah. but but uh, having to explain that as a father. And so, you know, early on, I, I watched Bobby Kennedy and, and a lot of people. And, and so, uh, you know, but even then, I've had to deal with unconscious bias. Uh, one of the things I discovered in 2016 with the new president was that, you know, there are certain keywords that were being used that were very white nationalists, very racially biased. And, and part of what a lot of people have is unconscious bias. When you, like, use words like our culture, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, that only means certain people's culture, right? Uh, I see what's going on there. Um, me too. So I was kind of prepared for Black Lives Matter. I supported it when it came out uh, during the Obama years, and I understood what it meant and and uh, and uh, everything else. I couldn't figure out why it didn't get traction like it did, but unfortunately we had to go through some ugly stuff to, to get traction now. But uh, the Me Too thing kind of caught me by surprise because I'm a gentleman. I date. I don't. I don't like, I mean, I don't date as much as I used to when I was younger and thinner, but, uh, but I've always just, it's always been a numbers game to me. So you date, you know, you, you find somebody, you know, ask them out. I mean, like, I don't even use lines. I just go, Hey, you know, uh, you want to go out sometime? You know, there you go. Um, it's not complicated. You you still make it complicated. I mean, if, if girl wants to go out with you, she'll go out with you. Um, and uh, so Me Too was hard, but then once I started hearing the stories and the horror, uh, then I was like, there's some really jerky guys in this world. There's some real jerks. Uh, and they are some ugly, nasty people who need to get kicked to the thing. Um, so, yeah, that was hard. But then I had to gear my brain around it. And then I had to start saying, what, un- what unconscious biases do I have? Um, is there toxic masculinity that I have? Uh, is there... Is there, you know, attitudes that I have towards women? What are my attitudes? Uh, you know, that whole sort of discussion. Uh, one thing I, one thing I did uh, shortly after Trump became president was I, I did, and I did this on my own. I sat down. And I said, you know, what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start looking at faces. So when I go to the store, I'm going to look at everyone's face, especially minorities, and I'm going to, I'm going to th- listen to what, what, what I decided about that person. And then I'm going to say, why do I, why did I make that choice? Why am I making that choice? And what unconscious bias do I have that's causing me? And is that real or not? Or am I, you know, making really bad judgments on people based upon unconscious bias and prejudice? And it was an interesting experiment. It's taught me a lot because now I do it a lot. So yeah. I don't know if that's a smart thing to do, but Maybe that's it worked it. for me. Maybe that's one thing people can do is just, you know, yeah think through the impressions that you're forming and why you're forming them. Yeah. And it's not fun because sometimes you go, Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that was, yeah, I'm really making some bad judgments there. Yeah. Uh, Whether it was the me too or whether, whether it's racism and I had a, you know, there's a lot of different keywords that are used in prejudice um, in, in, and there's a lot of different assumptions that people make. You know, the inner city, I've always heard that though, all the crimes in the inner city and, you know, certain people do certain things, you know, and, um, and then of course it's tied to, 
you know, manifest destiny and this whole whiteness of America and this, this weird 400 year uh, issue that we have in, in our perception of what our history is or what we think is our history and, and the exceptionalism or entitlement or elitism that we think uh, white people think they have. And so uh, it's kind of interesting because a lot of that plays into that unconscious bias. And mm-hmm. um, maybe we need to have inclusivity taught in, in elementary schools. Just like yeah, I know a lot have... of schools are doing um, like anti-racism training mm. and at least at the college level. I don't know about in elementary schools, but, um, you know, I do think this is a conversation we need to have in the book. I think I say this, but there's a lot of the CEOs I interviewed. And these were people who were doing this like really well. Um, mm. So like Mark Benioff at Salesforce, I think he's a great inclusive leader. Um Kevin Johnson at Starbucks. He's a great inclusive leader, but they say like, we didn't learn this in college or MBA school or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. Like this hasn't been a conversation. It's like, you, we should all just know, obviously, like you said, don't sexually harass people. That should be obvious and don't be racist. But I think for the more um, subtle things, I, I don't know that people were, are equipped with what that means and what they're supposed to do. And then like, I kind of think the rules have changed, right? Like I'll say my, my parents' generation, um, my mom really talked about as a Mexican American being like really told to try to fit in. So like Mm -hmm. a lot of her peer group stops speaking Spanish didn't teach their kids Spanish, stuff like that, because they were trying to like fit in. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that was a norm for the times, but try telling that to your millennials or, Gen Z, they don't want to fit in. That's not how like they were raised. They were told to like be themselves over and over again. And so it means we don't just have to learn this tough skill of inclusifying. We we need to relearn what we were taught before. And that's hard, right? It's it's not just like if you've never done it before. It's like you've been doing something one way for 20 years and now all of a sudden people are like, actually, we need you to do something else because this isn't working. <laughs> you bring up a good point at cultural changes and over my lifetime that's that's one of the things i've uh you know seen so many people have a hard problem with or even people like me who have to learn and grow and 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 try to adapt to that um you know i've always been maybe it's because i come from an entrepreneur sort of brain where i understand that things have to change things have to get better um as a society we have to become better and this is an evolving thing the beautiful part of america is you know we have this free speech so we have this ability to have these discussions and try and figure out and and sometimes we're pretty and sometimes we're ugly um and hopefully we always through the zig and zag as obama used to put it uh we get to where we're supposed to be um you know one of the things i've been talking about with black lives matter and discussions we've been having a lot of great african-american uh writers is i really think a lot of this stuff needs to be taught at the elemental school sort of level when kids are young Uh, because i know it's being taught a lot of colleges but i really think like it needs to be taught when they're young because a lot of a lot of kids that i see that are exhibiting a lot of misogynist or racist uh, elements, they're mirroring from their parents. Mm-hmm. And so by the time they get to college, that sucker's already laid in to their brain. Um, and so I think it's better that we attack that stuff when you're young. Um, and, you know, I think there should, I think there should be 
uh, you know, full classes on racism. What is it? How not to be one? How to identify it? Uh, inclusivity and in yeah. being able to look at oneself internally. There should be more psychology stuff. I think when you're <laughs> when you're two is to how to look inside yourself and go, why am I the way that I am? And uh, and then businesses. I, I notice a lot of colleges now have inclusivity. Uh, professors on their things to help make sure that the college is doing that. Should every business have like a inclusivity department now? I, I think so. I mean, there a lot of them do already have um, maybe a chief diversity officer or diversity inclusion belonging officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need it. The CEO, I think is always really the chief diversity officer because if they're not behind it, it's really hard to get traction. But in addition to their role in it, there needs to be someone who's carrying out action on diversity and inclusion. And it's not just human resources because it's overall strategy, right? Of the company Mm -hmm. and human resources to be part of strategy too. But I think the diversity and inclusion is more than just HR, right? It really is. If it's not everywhere, then it's, you're not doing it right. So more and more companies are, are doing that. Um, And imagine they're doing internal training and, Getting, sure. making sure all the employees are up to par on that sort of stuff. And I think that's good. I really do. I'd like to see it teach the younger level though, of course, but I, I think know, it's I can't good. imagine that happening though. Cause like there's still schools where they can't teach evolution, right? Like <laughs> you think those schools are going to start teaching anti-racism? Uh, I have one of those problems where I, I believe in something that's better than this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a John Lennon imagine type thinker where I think about what the potentials are for a thing, but evidently I was born a few hundred years too early. So uh, I'm just trying to hopefully get us down the road. But yeah, you're right. I mean, people would be probably fighting it. But it is interesting to map how society changes and evolves um, and the struggle people go through. Uh, you know, I mean, I went through that struggle with me too, where I'm like, what is this, what is this stuff going on? And then of course, you know, like I say, I mean, once you, once you heard the stories, you're like, oh, that's not cool at all. You know? Um, and I mean, if you're a guy who's, who's, uh, has a lot of misogynistic, uh, tendencies and is, is a real jerk to women for you, that wasn't a wake up call for people like me. That was kind of like, what? Yeah. There are some real jerks in this world. Um, you know, attacking or being mean to women because they say no to you because they won't go on a date. Oh, my yeah. gosh. You know, um, and maybe and, and maybe it's easier for me because I'm a salesman. I don't know. You know, to me, no just means, OK, great. Next. Yep. Next. Um, I used to go out on a Friday night or Saturday night to the clubs. I get four or five girls numbers and ask them out, you know, right. And so to me, it was just always a numbers game, you know, and then that way you have a better chance of finding the person you like, as opposing just to attaching to one person and God knows you may not get along or, you know, you marry them and and then you hate each other for the next 20 years. I didn't want any of that. So I was like, (laughs) I was like, it's a numbers game, million fish in the sea. Yeah. You you play the numbers and hopefully you find the one. And I guess I'm still searching. So I think that there's still, I mean, there's definitely jerks at the nightclub, but I think that, me too is more like the workplace. So yeah. if you applied that and asked out all of your employees, mm-hmm. still not, probably not the best. Yeah. And you saw a lot of that in the me too thing where uh, I'm trying to think of the interviewer who was asking a lot of uh, employees out and being creepy Rose, mm-hmm. uh, the Rose, Charlie Rose, uh, Charlie Rose. 
Yeah, he got busted for he was kind of being creepy with his employees and Matt Lauer and he asked a couple out. Matt Lauer, wow, yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, crossing that line, then being retaliatory. I mean, a lot of it was being retaliatory when when the women said no or right. when the women pulled away, um, and destroying their careers, uh, destroying them, their their reputations, et cetera, et cetera, and making so they can't work. You know, Fox News. There you go. That's a that's a yep. whole ball of wax. We we just saw a new lawsuit come out on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to win that one with the reputation they have, but I guess that's their problem. But this is important because you know not only from 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 a from a um, uh, just getting the most from all your workers, make sure everyone feels involved, make sure everyone has a high productivity level. And it's also a great way to avoid lawsuits and problems yeah. and issues and <laughs> and. So Everything else. I mean, I my vision is that we could be this utopian society where we all get along and we all operate logically and cerebral and our emotions are all connected well and and we just uh, we become the society that lifts everyone up and I don't know we all wear white robes or some crap that you've seen in some science fiction movie. We're all like, mm, you know, a better world, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, like I say, I might be a few thousand years born to a thousand now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we can get better. I feel like this is <laughs> the first time that I'm truly optimistic about the future. you know, maybe thinking more like you, um, in a positive way, because I think the thing that was hardest to change about businesses when it came to, you know, sexual harassment or gender bias or racial bias was really the status quo. It's like, mm. But this is how we do it. Um, we do all of our, we take all of our candidates out to dinner and drinks before we hire them, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes those are situations that lend themselves to inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And in the last four months, how many candidates do you think were taken out to dinner? I don't know. None. None? It's COVID, so right? They, they... It's like we've just trashed the way we did everything. It's all different. And now I think that means. Okay, that sucks, but it means that we have the opportunity when we build it back together to build to build it better. Yeah, say, we're like rethink these things. Do we need to add back the um, overnight trips, you know, with to customers? Um, do we need to add back the going taking people out to the bar? I'll say, like in my field of academia, every job interview you go to is always an overnight because it takes more than one day. You give a presentation, but you always go to dinner and have drinks. I don't know mm-hmm. if they just do this. And I've had students who are like, I don't drink. What am I going to do? Right. And you could just say, don't drink, but then like you, you feel like they're going to be discriminate, discriminating against you and biased against you. Cause you're not fun. You don't fit the culture. You know, you're, you're not someone they want to have a beer with. Cause you're like, no, I don't want a beer. Um, you know, there's ways of cheating around that too. I mean, I, I've had friends that were alcoholics and they had, and they would order it on duels. And yeah. we understood and supported them because we know what they were like when they were alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, know, I think in the job interview, there's something different that I remember I went to, this is like a give a talk. It wasn't technically a job interview, but we mm-hmm. went out and everyone was drinking and I didn't drink. Um, not because at the time I wasn't an alcoholic. I, I don't think I am still, but at the time I wasn't, I was pregnant. So I was like, I really shouldn't drink, but I also didn't tell them I was pregnant. Cause it was like, I don't know. I don't know if I wanted to, disclose that yet. I wasn't very pregnant. And months later, someone told me that, um, they asked if I want to drink and I said, no. And they go, Oh, that's right. You're Mormon. And I was like, am I? 
like, I, I didn't think I was, I was like raised Catholic and I think I'm kind of Christian, but, um, they were like, no, so so they, they took that perception that they thought, oh, drinking. she's from Colorado Utah. and she doesn't drink. And they put the pieces together and oh. decided I was Mormon. It was like, wow. And it was I just cause you were pregnant. And, and I know that's, that's wild. That's wild. <laughs> I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the things I usually do at, when I'm out to events and stuff, I usually don't drink. Um, you know, I might have a drink just to loosen up a little bit, but, but I'll cut it off because usually I'm doing business like at big events that used to be held before the yeah. coronavirus. Uh, and so I'll just have a Coke. And so like, if anybody says, you know, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a rum and Coke. Yeah. You know, they're not going to taste it. So, you know, they don't know the difference. Um, <laughs> but, uh, now you bring up an interesting point though. Um, one of the issues with a lot of those different events or, you know, taking someone out to dinner or whatever the case may be. Um, can we fully trust everybody? Like, you know, I've been a CEO of a lot of, of thousands of employees over the years. Uh, I don't know that I could ever, no matter how much you, how much I, I could put people through a whole year's worth of inclusivity training. I'm not sure I trust every single person to go to dinner and not create a scenario for temptation to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe maybe we kind of have to throw out some things or I don't know. Maybe we just have to make sure that they operate in large groups. Um, exactly. I mean, I think the point is we have to figure it out new, newly again, right? Mm-hmm. Because right now we're doing none of it. And so mm-hmm. as we start incorporating these things back, we can be a little more thoughtful about how we're doing it. Because I think when these procedures and habits and processes were developed, it was like, a very homogenous workforce mm-hmm. and that was it made sense it was fine but it's not now and so as we're deciding like going forward do we need to do do we need to do the heavy drinks at all of our conventions and um maybe not right like yeah it's just a huge opportunity i think because one thing leads to another and then they're they're doing stuff on my copier uh, yes. so so uh you know and 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 i've seen how hard it is in an office, especially with somebody who's, who, who's, uh, you know, very beautiful. I've seen how hard it is to keep guys on the street narrow. I mean, I've seen it. Uh, you know, I mean, one time we had uh, a super hot, very flirty secretary up front, and I could not keep my office guys out of that front area to, to keep from talking. Oh wow! And she was very flirty, so I couldn't. You know, it was like I. They, between the both sexes, we they were just they were just helping each other out, and so yeah, I don't I don't, I just don't know. I hopefully we could become a more cerebral society where we go, hey man, there's a certain place for certain things. Um, I've always wondered about the issues because back in prior to sexual harassment and Me Too and stuff, the majority of people met there. The majority of people that met each other and got married usually was from work which kind of gives you an idea of how much stuff has been going on there for a while. Yeah. Um, and I've always wondered, like, how do we pull back from that, you know, and be able to support me too. And, and, uh, yeah, but you know, now we have like online dating when yeah. it, you don't need to date people at work. I think yeah. you date people yeah, at work because you're there all the time. And <laughs> it's like, that's the only people you have exposure to. But now while yeah. you're at work, you can, skim through the dating apps i guess i guess that's maybe that's what people are doing now they're cruising their tinder but what's the old line from silence of the lambs you covet what you see every day 
and that can be a problem. Yeah, Um, and that's a scary analogy right there. Yeah, and that that familiarity. I mean, I mean, you're a woman. You've seen some of the crap that people send you on the internet. I'm sure DM you. Um, You know, I mean, that's that's what these people do. You know, especially stalkers and. I mean, geez, there's some guys that got nothing better to do with their time all day long. Um, you know, I think it's some weird, it's like a power thing. It's like showing, exhibiting power over people. Is that another unconscious bias or, or is that a psychology um, sort of thing? I think there is an unconscious bias around mm-hmm. harassment. And I think it's like um, this idea, I think it comes from, like, you talk, you use the word toxic masculinity and like, mm. I don't like to say that word, but um, it's this idea of men have to be dominant. And so when they see women who might like um, not want to go out with them or might seem equally dominant, they like feel challenged by that. It's challenging mm. the social structure. And so I think they, in, they engage in sexual harassment as a way of kind of like getting back at that woman for making them feel maybe insecure or something like that. I think think that's where it comes from. Yeah. Fear of rejection. Like uh, in one paper I wrote, we called it sexual insecurity. It's like, I don't, if you don't want me, then I'm going to like be a jerk to you because I feel hurt by you. And so I'm just going to hurt you back. And, 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 is some of that's probably tied to some unconscious bias of misogyny, like a woman, a woman is always less than me or mm-hmm. uh, a woman is, you know, should be in the kitchen. You know, I, I, I come from 50 years ago. So, you know, there was a lot of that that we went through in the 80s where, you know, women were rising up, um, you know, ERA. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of men were fighting back on that. Like, I'm the man. I'm supposed to be the earner, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I watched that whole thing go down when I was growing up and men having to come to this this issue of like women can be in the workforce too they can be contributing they can course, you know everyone yeah. can do whatever they want i mean now now we're starting to see a lot more stuff in in our in our society where you know men can be stay-at-home moms if uh, you will i remember in fact i remember i think it was in the 80s early 90s there was uh, was it mr mom that movie that came I out i think there was mr mom yeah. and then also there's one with like three guys right two men and a baby yeah. or something. <laughs> three guys and a three men and a baby three men yeah. and a baby that's right there's three of them yeah and that was like culturally like boom I and know. People are like whatever, but I think a lot of those guys have some unconscious biases that that base around their triggers, for where, sure. Where they they see women as lesser in some but, way, and shape, I think or they form. They were raised that way, right? Like their yeah. parents said, a man's job is to provide for his family, and um, like they didn't make those things up, right? It's all it's all the man on man and boy on boy harassment and hate of like man up like um i think a lot of i'm not that different in age than you are but the uh like i think like the worst slur that boys used to throw at each other was like don't be gay which is like this is so wrong yeah. every yeah. level but i think that's like the ultimate um toxic masculinity sign is like you're threatening someone's masculinity by saying you're not masculine in fact i'm gonna call you gay and I think that's like, that's the problem, right? Like if your wife has more power or your girlfriend has more power than you do or makes more money than you do, it's threatening your masculinity. And that Mm. you've been told for the previous 40 years that your masculinity is like the most important thing you have. Yeah. I think a 
a lot of men are having to, uh, trouble with that and the unconscious <laughs> bias of that. So we should talk about that because a lot of men do have issues with that. Uh, you know, we've had to rediscover our masculinity. Um, even for me with racial uh, unconscious bias, I had some discussions. Eddie Glaude Jr. was on to talk about his book, Begin Again, by James Baldwin. Um, and James Baldwin talks about how how we're all raised, you know, watching during that era of watching John Wayne. And yeah. a lot of my identity uh, of being a man is very John Wayne-ish because, I mean, I, I grew up watching him and that was yeah. an influence that I had. But what I didn't realize is there's a lot of racist stuff that's in the John Wayne sort of element that speaks oh my to gosh, yes. America and Manifest Destiny. You know, he's slaughtering Indians. He's always ta- yes. talking horrible to him. Uh, Native Americans, I should say. And and uh, I, I can't remember if there was anything about uh, black people in there, but I'm sure there was because that's oh, how all the stupid movies were. Um, and, and so even now... I've had to look back uh, from a racial aspect on my John Wayne thing, and they're talking now about removing John Wayne's name off the John Wayne Airport in Orange County. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and so, I mean, even now, I'm still dealing with, like, okay, we've got to unravel, unravel that thread and uh, fix that boat. Have um, you seen which, the Gillette? The, is this the best? Oh, yeah, Maggie. that's I right. I love that campaign, P&G. Um, yeah. And that upsets so many people. I know, I know. Oh. But I thought it was powerful. And it's like, and I'll say for, like, I have two kids. I have a, yesterday my son turned seven and my yeah. daughter's eight. Um, oh, wow. And I mean, I like, I live this stuff, but after that video had a big impact on me. I'm like, we have to make sure. And my son's huge. Like, he's going to be like six foot four. Like, he's really, okay. and he's beefy. Like, really, really big kid. And we're like, we don't want him to grow up with that. Right. Cause he could totally be that person who's like doing keg stands, like football player, like big, you know, jerk, I guess. Um, not that all football players or keg standers are jerks, but yeah, let's not have unconscious bias. I know. It's, I'm, I'm just, like, that's my unconscious bias is like, against football players, apparently. there you go. We're like here, you know, you, we have to make sure that he doesn't think that's the way he's supposed to behave yeah. and like never say things like, Oh, boys will be boys or, you know, it's not, it's like you treat people with respect. You um, are kind to everyone, you know, <laughs> not just like, I think the other thing is the um, never hit a woman or never, you can't chase a girl or like, why don't you just say don't hit anyone? Right. Yeah. You say, like, don't hit anyone. And especially yeah. don't hit any girls, but um, cause that's still kind of, you know, it's like, it's a tough balance. We want to yeah. make him a good person. But we also, want to make sure there's like some balance there your your chris voss show is blowing away oh is it uh I, my huskies are coming in and out and so they're <laughs> blowing the uh they're hitting the uh <laughs> the green screen there um you know, one of the one of the issues that men have um uh, and i can speak from a uh, first person here is we have this kind of interesting way of dealing with each other, especially men. And it's, and, and it's hard for us when we first have to learn that we have to deal differently with women. Mm-hmm. And we, we have this, uh, I'm not sure the correct term, but we give each other a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. You may know better because you're schooled and stuff. I went to public school. Um, and Betsy DeVos is public school. And uh, uh, as men, we, we uh, there's this, there's this uh, what would you call it, a calling? Or we, 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 Part of our relationships with each other as men is is we we uh, 
we break each other's nuts. It's probably the best short way to put it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that uh, abuse that we give to each other. And a lot of it is, is uh, it's almost a, maybe in thinking of it, you've given me a, some thoughts here. Maybe it is a masculinity sort of beat my chest sort mm-hmm. of thing. And then mm-hmm. I beat my chest and he beats his chest. Let's yeah. go kill the dinosaur, you know, some yeah. sort of cave. Get the girl. Basis. Yeah, let's go get the girl. Uh, cavemen kill the kill the beast and bring it back home. Tribalism, you know, it's it's like some sort of tribal sort of. Uh, I'm at I'm at a loss for the. What do they call it? Hegemonic part. masculinity. Is that what it is? Yeah. There we go. You went to college. Um, <laughs> the uh, I just started business in eighteen and skipped the whole thing. Clearly. Uh, but that's why I'm here, so I can learn from smart people like you. We put smart people in the room, as the uh, beginning of the podcast says. Um, so, yeah, we, we have that sort of issue. And then I remember I remember having to learn to deal with women differently because I'm like, wow, I can't insult women and do the things that I do with guys because it doesn't, like, it doesn't work the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, they take it seriously yeah. when – you know, and and even then, like when I was in relationships, it was hard sometimes because that sort of guy would come out, and and I and then she'd be upset, rightly so, and you'd be like, oh, Chris, man, you can't treat her like other guys, dude. It's she's different. Um, and so maybe that's a maybe that's a real issue with our toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. and how we have those norms of society. I remember years ago I went to this show that was uh, it was something like the Caveman Cave Woman show, and it toured around different opera houses and show show places, and it talked about sort of our basic element of our psychology uh, from a caveman cave woman sort of element. You had yeah. the caveman as a is a uh, forget the term a woman is a gatherer hunter there's the yeah, hunter gatherer yeah. syndrome or not syndrome but psychosis well it's a psychosis <laughs> really when it comes down to it it's still around um and, and so those elements probably play in our unconscious bias coming up through our psychologies right i think so i mean it's mm-hmm. funny the story you said um about treating women because i think that's why we just have to say we have to treat everyone well because yeah. I, I had a um there's another business prof i know who got in a bunch of trouble for mistreating women Mm. and the argument like was that he's not it's not a gender thing he's just a jerk to everyone (laughs) and it was maybe it's true but it was also like that's a really hard argument to to say like no he's not gender biased he just sucks like either way you suck right so yeah you're a horrible person go yeah so he totally got in trouble so i feel like it's there is the like, yeah, of course you you might have to change behavior a little bit the way, the way you treat women. But I think there's also like, this is 2020 professional professionalism means mm-hmm. that you don't like, um, I can't think of a, how to say this without using a cuss word, but like that you don't treat other men that way either mm-hmm. because a lot of men hate it too. Right. Like pretty much this, I read the statistic, like men, have higher rates of suicide, depression, anxiety. And like a lot of it ties back to this fact that they're like treated horribly and they can never talk about it and they never seek any help. And so I kind of feel like we say like, Oh, well women can't handle it, but it's like, you know what? Men can't handle it either. They're like really suffering because they're being mistreated all the time and by their friends. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of them are lost in their, 
in their masculinity and what it identifies because we've seen masculinity starting to change over the years. In fact, we've seen the rise of these incels and they can't figure out their masculinity either and how it fits into societal norms or at least the norms that they were raised on and now the changes that are being made out there and, and their unconscious biases. So as we wrap up, what's the best way that someone, the average person listening to this can start maybe doing an internal search yeah. of what maybe sort of unconscious biases they have? Yeah, I think I will say go to my website, drstephjohnson.com, and there's a bunch of videos um, of different talks and stuff that I've given that talk about unconscious bias in a really, like, practical way um, that I think people find useful. I think that is a great first step. They can read Inclusify. They can read other. Um, Blind Spot is a good book about unconscious bias. Um, and, like, this isn't rocket science, you know, like this isn't, it's new and it's different, but people can certainly start to become aware of their biases and then find ways to like mitigate them. And, um, and this is the time to do it, right? Because if, you know, five years ago you were like, okay, I'm going to change and be this like new person at work. It might be weird, but right now I think, first of all, you don't see anyone at work because you're home. So when you, when you show up again, no one's seen you in like five months. So it's not weird to be different. And people expect that we're all trying to learn together right now and be better. So if not now, when? Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point earlier on about how um, not all people are just bad. They're just, they just have these unconscious biases. Although unfortunately the results of their behavior from those unconscious biases is bad. So um, people have got to just get in touch with them, you know, listen, learn, uh, get your book, um, try to understand what this is about, grow, change. You know, I think that's, that's, what's made it easier for me going through life is that there's, you know, I understand that change is a necessary factor and an for important sure. factor in growth, but a lot of people don't want to change changes, you know, Ooh, it's a scary, you know, Yeah, but people have been listening to your podcast mm-hmm. for the last few weeks like i think they're probably interested in change hopefully so because that's what we try to do is give them tools like what you've done with your book to uh improve their life and improve their professional life too not only from a society basis but you know a lot of these things that we've talked about today me too and black lives matter and racial diversity lgbtq diversity all those sort of things are elements that if you step over that line or cross that line you could be out of a job and you could end up with cancel culture where you're you know, put into the, uh, you're, you're, you're kicked out of the tribe, uh, because mm-hmm. you're bad for the tribe. So, uh, as we wrap up, Stephanie, uh, anything more we need to know about you and the great book you've written? Um, I don't think so. Just thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our chat. It was hilarious. I think you may have missed your actual career destiny as a comedian. Ah, yes. Well, not an entrepreneur slash podcaster. <laughs> there's still that. There's, there's still, still that. There's still time, right? Yeah. I, I, we need to be able to be able to go into a comedic thing, but I mean, that's half the reason people listen to me is for the funny. So be sure to go check out her book. Uh, give us the .com so people can look that up on the interwebs. It's um, inclusifybook.com, um, but you can actually get it anywhere. Books are sold. It's called Inclusify, published by HarperCollins. You can get it on, at Barnes Noble or Target or Amazon on Kindle or ebook or you hard, cover, everywhere you go. 
Pick it up. Make it a gift. You've got plenty of time, guys. You're sitting at home a lot of times. Read a book. Learn about what's going on. And, and I really support this stuff because I want to see us change the society until we can be, whether it's a better company or a better America or a better any country in the world or just as a humanity, uh, for those of us who believe in John Lennon Imagine thing where we're all just one group of human beings that should uh, care and lift each other up. Um, learning about this stuff is super, super important. I encourage you to come back anytime, Stephanie, to talk about Thank this. You. In fact, we've got some other, uh, I think we have some other panels that are coming on for inclusivity. I'll send you an email and uh, uh, Dr. Lawrence Chatters has been on a few times. He's uh, the inclusivity professor I mentioned. Yeah. Um, uh, I think him and some uh, uh, another author we interviewed recently with male toxicity and and male roles and 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 ability of children might be good to have you come on as a panelist for that. But uh, to all my audience, be sure to check out our book, order it up, uh, do that internal in perspective, look inside and go, what kind of unconscious biases do I have? Start listening to what you see, what you feel, what your biases are, and and just because society said that's what they were or what they used to be, <laughs> they may not be tomorrow. So you definitely want to adapt and uh, get with the times, if you will. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so thanks, Manus, for tuning in. Be sure to uh, subscribe to the show, refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Give us a great referral. Go to iTunes.com. Give us five stars if you love the show and what we do here. Always trying to make it better, and that will help uh, help everyone see and hear it more and get the word out. Uh, also, go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Hit that bell notification so you get all the notifications of everything we do. Thanks, Amani. Stay safe. Be well. Take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. Bye, Chris. All right.